0: Thanks for joining us on this week's episode, where we continue to discuss the Best Picture nominees from the 87th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. All right, we're back in this thing. Yeah, we sure are. And we didn't come to any sort of conclusion about if the Oscars got it wrong last week because we're still in the middle of the conversation. The conversation continues. We're in our bracket. So in case you didn't listen to last week, what we did was create a giant bracket, an uber bracket, a master bracket of movies for 2014. We took the eight nominees from the Academy and we made our own eight nominees we seeded all 16 of them, and then in head-to-head matchups, we picked the losers of the first round, and we discussed those eight films, which were, to recap, American Sniper, Theory of Everything, The Lego Movie, The Imitation Game, Big Hero 6, Edge of Tomorrow, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and Birdman, the shocking loser in the first round that won the best picture in real life. So we're back. Yes. And we're going to talk about the winners this time well some of them we're in round two so some of our movies have advanced and they're still in matchups So we'll talk through what those matchups are hopefully you're able to follow along on your own copy of the bracket which again is posted to our twitter oscars wrong pod the bracket can also be found on our new website oscarwrongpod.com which will hopefully make this episode well all of these episodes a little more comprehensible So should we dive right in? Should we dive right into round two? I think we should. So just to remind everybody about the films, the first one is our number one seed of the 16, Selma, a biopic of Martin Luther King Jr. that focuses on the march from Selma to Montgomery. This one stars David Oyelowo, Tom Wilkinson, and Carmen Ojogo, directed by Ava DuVernay, written by Paul Webb. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, and it won one for Best Original Song. That's up against our eighth seed, The Grand Budapest Hotel, a dramedy about the concierge of an Eastern European hotel and his lobby boy. It stars Ray Fiennes, Tony Revolori, Adrian Brody, Ed Norton, Saoirse Ronan, and Willem Defoe. It was written and directed by Wes Anderson, nominated for nine, it won four, best costume design, best makeup and hairstyling, best original score, and best production design. Okay, should we pick our winner of these two before we proceed? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do you want to count down again? Sure. On the count of three, we will reveal our winner. One, two, three. Grand Grand Budapest Budapest Hotel. Hotel. All right. All right. So far, we continue to be on the same page. Great. But will it continue? I think these matchups are a little bit more competitive, by and large. It's all winners all the time now. But our next matchup is our number two seed boyhood a coming-of-age story about a boy growing up it stars patricia arquette ethan hawke and Ellar coltrane it is written and directed by richard linklater it was nominated for six and it won one best supporting actress for patricia arquette that's up against our seventh seed guardians of the galaxy a sci-fi action comedy about a ragtag group of losers who saved the galaxy it stars chris pratt zoe saldana dave batista vin diesel and bradley cooper It's directed by James Gunn, written by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman. It was nominated for two and it won zero. Okay. I don't know about this one. In my own head, I don't know about this one. So I'm surprised. (laughs) All right. It was very Interesting. (laughs) Let's count it off. Okay. One, two, three. Boyhood? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, okay. it's falling it's okay. apart. We're to have a discussion about this. I mean, I'll say I really like both of these movies. Guardians of the Galaxy is a delightful Marvel film, full of character, full of style, a good story. Boyhood, I guess what tilted me toward it was I just... I think it's really emotional. I love the performances. I mean, obviously, it's pretty gimmicky watching the kid grow up over 12 real years, but I do think that it works. I think it's really fascinating to see the kid grow up and how things change over time, not just that the kid is growing, but that the filmmaking is happening over 12 years, I think is interesting. Because you can see how opinions of Richard Linklater are being formed as things go along, as they're experiencing events of the time, I think is fascinating. I like it as a project, and I uh, love the performances. So that's what I'll say. Okay. I liked Boyhood a lot more than I expected I would. And I I would say overall, I did like it. Mm -hmm. I think the reason I'm voting for Guardians is... I feel in some ways it's like a film that should be taught. James Gunn is pulling off, introducing six characters who we've never seen before, who are ridiculous. And it's so easy for like a film like this to fall on its face. Mm-hmm. And we see films like this fail so often. And it's so deftly done. It is funny. I find it emotional as well. I cry when I watch this movie. Oh, I don't disagree. Yeah. He makes it look so easy. Yeah. And what he's doing is not... Easy at all. And it's a thrilling story. And I think Boyhood has a lot of things to recommend about it, but it's not too much of a story because it is just a life and sort of the way we talk about biopics. And so for me it's it's not quite doing as much. Narratively. Yeah. I I And just in terms of establishing characters. You know, you come into boy and you're like, I get it, it's a family, the parents are in divorce, yada yada yada. You mean it's not like as difficult of a hurdle to get over. Right. Yeah. I mean i do think james gunn is an incredibly talented filmmaker i think guardians of the galaxy is incredibly well crafted i totally agree with you for me it was just an emotional decision but honestly i'm ready to send guardians through to the next round i'm fine with it okay let's do it (laughs) i'm happy to wait to discuss that one next time cool okay our next matchup is our number 14 seed, Fox Catcher, which is a true story of two Olympic gold medalist brothers whose lives are destroyed after they're recruited to train with John E. DuPont. It stars Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, and Mark Ruffalo, directed by Bennett Miller, written by E. Max Fry and Dan Futterman. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, and it won zero. It's up against our number six seed, Snowpiercer, a science fiction action satire about the last survivors of a catastrophic climate change event who live on a self-contained train. It stars Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, and Song Kang Ho. It was directed by Bong Joon Ho, written by Bong Joon Ho and Kelly Masterson. It was nominated for zero. So, on the count of three, we will pick our winner for this one. One, two, three. Snowpiercer. Oh no! Okay, you leave it a bound. <laughs> Okay. I'm actually, I'm very torn on this one. Yeah. And I mean, we can talk through our choices, but I'm also really fine to send Snowpiercer through. Yeah. I, I mean, I I don't want to say too much about it. I'll just say, I love Bong Joon-ho. Boy, I can't wait till we get to, to our parasite year. I think he's probably uh, the best anti-capitalist filmmaker out there today. Maybe him and Miyazaki, but Miyazaki, we can talk sure. about it at some point. We don't have to talk about that at the moment. I'll just say, I don't think Snowpiercer is a perfect movie, the way that I think that Parasite is a perfect movie, to spoil my own opinion for that. But I do think the message of it really has lingered with me. Snowpiercer is a movie that I've thought a lot about in the years since I saw it, which I haven't done as much with Foxcatcher, which I do also think is a great movie. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I picked Snowpiercer. So I watched Foxcatcher for the first time on this viewing, and I really loved it. And I think it has interesting themes but Snowpiercer is saying a lot more about the world and maybe also how to resolve the world's problems and I I appreciate that about it it's a fun time too and we'll get into it but Tilda Swinton oh she's so good (laughs) so I'm happy to send Snowpiercer through okay but Foxcatcher does deserve a lot of respect which we will give it when we talk about it in just a few moments (laughs) okay Snowpiercer is and this is our final matchup Between our number four seed, Nightcrawler, a black comedy slash psychological thriller about the world of freelance news videographers, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Riz Ahmed, and Rene Russo. It is directed and written by Dan Gilroy. It was nominated for one Academy Award, and it won zero. It's up against our number five seed, close matchup, Whiplash, a drama about an ambitious music student and his abusive teacher. It stars Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. It was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. It was nominated for five, and it won three, Best Supporting Actor J.K. Simmons, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Mixing. Okay. All right. Tough matchup. One, two, three. (laughs) Nightcrawler. Night <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I loved Whiplash. I love Whiplash. I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about all four of these movies, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I think this is going to be a good time. Obviously, once you get into round two, the quality is just high all around. So there's a lot of fun, fun conversation to be had. Well, some less fun, some more serious. <laughs> but It's true. Yeah. But interesting movies. All right, so time to talk about our first loser, Selma. Feels wrong to say that, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) I don't particularly like it, but here we are. So Selma, our number one seed, has gone down in the second round. Obviously an incredibly well-reviewed film. Although not a super well-nominated film, which is shocking in its own way, but... Well, there are several interesting... Things with the nominations as we will go through this list. But Selma, just to give you the brief rundown of what it is obviously, we said it's about Martin Luther King Jr. This is a limited scope, just a few weeks really, in the life of Martin Luther King as he is struggling basically to get the Voting Rights Act passed. It's a lot of him lobbying. Lyndon Johnson, to try to pass voting rights legislation as he and his group on the ground try to protest for voting rights in Selma, Alabama. There's trying to stage a march from Selma to Montgomery, the capital of Alabama, and the governor is a real dickhead. To put it mildly. (laughs) To put it mildly. So this resulted in some of the earliest, not the earliest, but some of the earliest filmed police brutality that went out on news across the country and sort of radicalized a lot of more like suburban voter type people. Yes. Your ever elusive silent majority. Exactly. On what was called Bloody Sunday. It went out on the local news. It actually cut into a viewing of Judgment at Nuremberg that was airing that day. So. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's actually really interesting to think of the headspace you're in as you're watching Judgment at Nuremberg and then for it to cut to that in America. Yeah. Yeah. So after those initial protests, Martin Luther King put out the call to basically all of America, but particularly to people of faith to come join them in Selma. And so a bunch of people rushed into town from across the country and then eventually march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And there's the subplot throughout this movie as well about the FBI trying to oh destroy my God. him. Yeah, you got J. Edgar Hoover continually showing up to try to convince Lyndon Johnson to let him take action against Martin Luther King. He's basically saying, like, you know, I could I could take him out. Right. And Johnson's like, I mean, let's hold off on that <laughs> for a minute. Describe J. Edgar Hoover. So there's all sorts of stuff going on in the background trying to destabilize (laughs) Martin Luther King and, and his movement. And to me, one of the more interesting things about it is he goes back to see Johnson several times over the course of the film. There are multiple conversations between King and Johnson, and obviously they had passed the Civil Rights Act the year before. Mm -hmm. And so Johnson, his whole vibe for the early conversations is like, take the win, man, we passed that legislation. Isn't this great? I helped you out. Now you can help me out. I'm trying to pass this poverty legislation. (laughs) And yeah, Martin Luther King keeps having to be like, we cannot wait for this. We do not have voting rights. So there's this interesting interplay between trying to lobby for it behind the scenes, but really needing to Put on this spectacle, and Johnson's like, We don't want the spectacle. And it's like, I have to put on the spectacle so that you will freaking do something, guy. <laughs> right. Got to put pressure on you. Right. And then there's also the interesting tension between King's organization, which is national, and then the organizers on the ground who are represented by John Lewis mm-hmm. and his friend. Well, because the two of them have formed SNCC, the Student Nonviolent yeah. Coordinating coalition i think or what the C's are and they've been organizing locally in that area and then martin luther king comes in with the people from the southern christian leadership council and so yeah there's fascinating internecine tensions within the movement which is always interesting dramatically for me it it really it hit different watching it now than it did in 2014 because it's about the struggle to pass voting rights and uh the Voting Rights Act has been basically entirely dismantled at this point <laughs> in history yeah. by the Supreme Court. So it's real depressing. It's real depressing <laughs> to watch it. does it. feel like we've taken some steps back. I guess we all have to watch this so that we know what we have to do again for the next 50 years to try to get voting rights back. Great. If you can, utilize your right to vote. please. It's vote. actually really important. Please, please, please vote. If, if you take anything away from this it's vote please vote it's a really important right that you should be so excited to have you have to exercise I, it people you have to I, do it please i love voting god vote yeah and i think it's if you're not familiar with king in this portion of history and if you're not familiar particularly with the way that Edgar hoover was trying to maneuver to take him down mm-hmm. like this is probably an important film for you to see to understand yeah what was happening with the, the U.S. government in the relationship to this work at the time. So it's good. It's good, solid stuff. I will say when I saw this at the time, I don't think I knew who either of these actors were, but it was a delight to see them this time. Both Jeremy Strong and Lakeith Stanfield are in small but vital roles in this film. The two of them both play people that you get emotionally attached to and then they die. There is also, you know, they do the thing at the end of the movie where they tell you what happened to all the characters. And so there's this white lady who comes down to help after MLK puts out the call. And then just in text after the movie, they're like, she was killed by the KKK on the drive back Yeah, like two days later and you're like, oh my God. Thanks for the update, I guess. Jesus. I really like the way that they've structured it. I think it would have been easy for them to do the traditional MLK biopic movie which i never find to be that emotionally impactful if you've listened to this podcast you know how we feel about by the numbers this is maybe a thing people should be doing more of i guess it's technically a biopic but not really just pick like a short period of history to focus something on critical happening. and dramatize the short period of history. That's what we want you to do. But yeah, it's good. It's very surprising how few awards it was nominated for, especially in this environment of so many biopics, which this is sort of living alongside. I find it difficult to understand why Theory of Everything and Imitation Game gets so many more nods than Selma. Yeah. Is there something about these white British guys that is inherently more interesting to people? question mark question mark question mark question mark but it's a good one and if you haven't seen it watch it i mean truly for today's times what you're gonna need is to be inspired because depressing as it fucking is i truly think we are in for another many decades of having to do exactly this same work again so yeah okay all right should we talk about boyhood we should our number two seed we got some heavy hitters going out here in this round as we already kind of talked about Boyhood is a movie that Richard Linklater made over the course of 12 years in real time so he could capture the actual growing up of this kid, Eller Coltrane, who plays the lead. And his own daughter, who plays his sister. She's good, too. I like her. So, you know, very experimental, very artsy, very auteur. Very Richard Linklater. But the parents are played by Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke, and they start the movie in a place where they're already not together. It's interesting because it starts in a place where you think that he's going to be this stereotypical deadbeat dad who never shows up for his kids, but over the course of the movie, he interestingly matures a lot and stays in their lives and becomes a really good influence while... Poor freaking Patricia Arquette is left in all of these awful relationships over the course of the movie. It's so Absolutely. sad. So first she she's trying to go to school and get her degrees so that she can have a better, better life. life for herself and her kids. And so the first guy that she has a serious relationship with is her professor, which is... I mean that's not good people don't get red together flag. it's a red flag don't get together with your professor even if you're like an adult when this happens but she marries this professor who she thinks she's going to be like a stable life he has his own two kids her kids get along with his kids at first you're like this is a great situation everyone's having such a good time and then it turns out that that guy is an alcoholic and gets increasingly worse and more violent and aggressive when he drinks and it gets to a point where she ends up having to take her kids and leave in the middle of the day and his kids are left there and then you just never see them again yeah it's horrifying (laughs) really i spent a lot of time after this movie being like oh my god those poor kids who we just leave behind what happened to those kids oh my god and then as time is passing she ends up getting together with this other guy who is a former military guy And is maybe one of her students? I don't think so. I mean, it's unclear. It's It's possible he was one of her students. And at first, again, she thinks that he's going to be great. But then it turns out that he's not that great. And he has a very contentious relationship with what is the name of the boy? Don't know. Me neither. Anyway, he has a contentious relationship with the main boy. And so that relationship doesn't work out either. And again, she's left starting over on her own as both of her kids are out of the house. I love the scene when he's about to go off to college and then she is left there as he's about to leave. And she has this moment of like, is this it? I've spent all my life going from one thing to the next and like making sure that you're fine and you have food and you're healthy and safe and now you're leaving and I'm just what? Next I'm going to die? <laughs> like it's this great Patricia get speech. And he goes off to college and meets silly little college friends who are as artsy and, and ridiculous as him. <laughs> Yeah. What did you think of boyhood? I think it's very interesting that you described boyhood through the story of his mom and not through his story. I think I read it as being mostly about the parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, the thing is, Mason is arguably the least interesting character. Well, he's a kid. Kids are lame. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, you know, is that a problem? You be the judge. But yeah, I ended up liking it more than I thought I was going to. It varies. A slice of life it's just about these people living their regular lives and you know the characters seem real the boy seems boring as you're right children are yeah <laughs> yeah it's fine you do you do worry about those kids that got left behind i really worry about those kids I think, I think it's just like psychologically crazy that you live with these other kids for years and then you just never see them again and you spend the rest of your life being like I wonder what happened to my stepbrother I don't know I mean like maybe when they're all adults they'll find each other again somehow but that's um, wild emotionally they were siblings for years I think it's interesting the way the movie tracks time through pop culture, although I will say some of that's a little bit more successful than other elements of it, where sometimes the pop culture marker, I'm like, I have no idea when that happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think some of the dialogue's a bit clunky, especially the kid dialogue, Mm -hmm. but it's good. I think especially paired up with american sniper there's some interesting iraq war commentary in this movie that's true there's an early scene where when they're first getting when america's first getting into the iraq war ethan hawk has taken the kids out for like bowling and he starts talking to them about the iraq war and like what do you guys think about it and they start to give their little child opinions about it and he's there being like it's just about oil. The whole thing is bullshit. We shouldn't be there. And he's asking them because this is during the election. He's asking them if you guys were old enough to vote, who would you vote for? And they're like, "Carry." And he's like, "Anybody but Bush." <laughs> Well, yeah, that's interesting, too, because there's clearly something like a background story with Ethan Hawke that we don't get to see too much of where he's this very liberal guy. There's also a scene where they go canvassing with him mm-hmm. and then he marries into what has to be this deeply Republican. Yes. Family. Like maybe the white woman that he marries is not conservative, but her family yeah. is very like they're religious and guns and they live out in the country and you're like this is interesting yeah. what's going on well with they him? go have mason's birthday there and her parents have given him a bible and a gun for his birthday yeah. <laughs> so yeah you're like man i wish we were following patricia arquette's story or ethan Hawke's story or that's kind of what i like about story. it though there's something i like about just getting little pieces and then deciding for yourself what's going on with them It just works for me. But yeah, you're right. You're definitely not getting full, completed narrative arcs for these people. You're just like, I wonder what happened with that. He was super liberal and then he married this woman. How did that happen? Well, it's interesting because her relationship with her first husband, like you can clearly see how horrible he is and sort of the specifics of how horrible. I found her relationship with her second husband to be a little bit more vague in terms of like he's more of a a blip in the story because he's there for a lot less of it. Yeah. So there are definite question marks about like, how specifically did their marriage unravel? Because it's all like part. he's there one day and then he's just not there the next time you check in. Yeah. When it skips ahead the year, he's just gone, and you're like, oh, I guess they got divorced. Yeah. You don't get the moment of disillusion like you did with the first yeah. one. I think it's. I think it's good. I think that people should watch it. It's an enjoyable, interesting, different piece of filmmaking. Yeah. I kind of like that it's not all there i would say that's a a weakness i think it's it's uneven in terms of how it approaches its storytelling and and the characters yeah and i think if it didn't take 12 years to make i feel like that gimmick is pretty strong as part of the reason like people are like this is great you're like i don't care (laughs) i don't care how you made the movie it kind of depends on what i like it (laughs) okay (laughs) okay that's boyhood sure do we (laughs) on to our third loser of this round, the 14th seed, Foxcatcher. What's it about? So Foxcatcher is a, a true story about two Olympic gold medalists. They are brothers. They come back from the Olympics and they are struggling to get by. The younger brother is approached by the scion of the dupont family johnny dupont to become join and be on a sponsored team and to train out at his compound fox catcher he also wants mark who's the younger brother's older brother dave to come but dave doesn't want to come he has a family he's got a job he's out there and over the course of the film they eventually get dave to come out and there's tension with with mark and john and dave i'm struggling to describe like there's just happens. like a weird vibe to it all <laughs> that is yeah that is not really plot but is like you're getting this sense that there's strangeness of stuff is wrong so mark and dave grew up together with a single parent i think and dave essentially raised mark so they have this interesting relationship and it seems like Mark is adrift because now Dave has his own family and he can't be the father to Mark anymore. So Mark is searching for a father and he's searching for respect and he thinks maybe John will be that. But John is also desperate for the approval of his parent who has long thought that wrestling is a low sport. Yeah, because they're obviously they're DuPonts. They're incredibly wealthy. The mother's super interested in horse sports, you know, classy sports for rich people. So he's desperately striving for his mother's approval and for success in the public eye. He's, he's a very lonely character. When he was a kid, his mother had to pay someone to be his friend. And Ooh. now he's sort of paying for people to be his yep. friends. And in the end, Mark sort of reconnects with Dave. He's going to leave the compound. John becomes overwhelmed, presumably with jealousy. And as happened in real life. He drives down to where Dave is because Dave is planning on staying, and he shoots and kills him. And it is—it's so, so sad because Dave is just the nicest guy. You love him, great. all throughout this movie. You He's so sweet. So yeah, so that's sort of the plot. There we are, and it's—it's it's very quiet. It's a real, real slow burn. It is so sad. Everyone is so sad. Well, I mean, what's tragic about it? Is when they were kids, Dave and Mark had moved around their whole lives. They never had a sense of stability because they didn't even have a parent figure and they were always moving. And so Dave does not want to do that to his kids. So he has this idea that he wants to settle down somewhere. He wants to get a job that's stable and stay somewhere so his kids can grow up and feel like they have. stable place to grow. And so he had this job at a college, but then he has since agreed to take this job working at Foxcatcher. And then when it becomes, they probably offered him some exorbitant amount of money to get him. Yeah, he already doesn't want to take the job at Foxcatcher, but he does agree. And then when it becomes clear to Mark and the viewer that (laughs) this is not a good situation and he probably shouldn't be here mark decides to leave but dave is like okay you should leave but i'm gonna stay because i don't want to uproot the kids again it's so fucked that the reason he is still here and gets killed is because he was trying to do the right thing for his family oh dave (laughs) yeah dave's the best i love dave yeah. You know, it's really good performances. There's a really interesting physicality to all of the performances yes. from Channing Tatum in particular. Like he, he really is doing like a, a walk. I feel like Mark Ruffalo is too. And then obviously there's yeah. interesting stuff happening with Steve Carell, who is physically transformed with his new nose yes. and all sorts of stuff going on. I think when we watched it, I asked you if, if they had done prosthesis on Channing Tatum because he looked a little different. And I was reading afterwards that they did. There's very mild but effective prosthesis on him to like flatten out his face. So he looks a little bit more like Mark. But yeah, it's it's interesting. This is a movie you'd mentioned when we talked about The Hustler that was there was almost no score in that. There's almost no score in yeah. this movie. It is. I feel like it totally works quiet. in this. Yes. Yeah. I like that about it a lot. And then there's just there's just some really fascinating scenes in this movie the scene well there's a part where john has gotten mark to do cocaine and then things have really taken a turn and you see him next and he has frosted tips and you're like oh no something's gone wrong it's clear something bad has happened when the frosted tips come out (laughs) (laughs) there's a there's just such a a crazy scene where Dave's doing a training session with the guys, and then Steve Carell's mother comes in, and he has to, like, take over, and it's it's so embarrassing. It's, like, the most cringy thing that he possibly could have done. Because Dave – the reason he's brought on Dave is that Dave is actually this incredibly well-respected, great wrestling coach. And so Dave is obviously the one running all of these training sessions. And then, yeah, when – Steve Carell's mother shows up, he wants to pretend that he's been the one who's running this all along. So he is like, take a walk, Dave, and he like stands in front of the guys, and he's going to give them this rousing, inspirational speech and instruction about what they should be doing during the training. And it's so embarrassing. It's this obviously performative nonsense that his mother is not buying at all. (laughs) Yeah. And then in the middle of it, she just has her, her nurse wheel her out, like just silently. Yeah. And then Steve Carell has to just be like, "Okay, back at it." <laughs> like, Dave, take back over. Oh my! There's God. an amazing scene too, where so Dave and Mark have had a falling out. They're at a competition. He's like lost, and he's been binge eating. And then Dave comes back, and he has to lose 12 pounds in that 90 is a minutes. Wild, wild scene. That if that is from reality, I don't even know how it's possible. <laughs> But it's like, like this incredible emotional scene because he's in this dark place. He's not doing well. And he, and it's yeah. because he has the rift with his brother. And so then, yeah, he binge eats all this stuff. His brother shows up. He's in the lowest possible low place. But then they have this emotional reconnection scene. And then Dave is like, all right, what are we going to do? Do you want to do this or not? So they go weigh him and he has to lose 12 pounds. And they put him on a bike and he's sweating and he's throwing up. And then as he's on the bike trying to get the 12 pounds off in this very short amount of time Steve Carell's character shows up and has this like I don't think you even hear it I think Mark Ruffalo leaves no. the room to have this talk with Steve Carell you see them through the glass up, in the you door You see them through the, the glass and he's telling him why he can't come in and deal with Mark right now because Mark's got his own thing going on and so that's there's this really really subtle but great build of tension between Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo where you can see that something's happening, but you never know that it's going to culminate in him shooting him because that's so fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's also this interesting undercurrent of... Again, like we've watched a bunch of movies where athletes are like, I've got to be great. I've got to be the greatest. And that's their story. I think this movie is really about people striving for respect. And in some ways it's warranted because the movie starts with Mark giving this, again, really embarrassing speech to a bunch of like elementary school students about what it means to be an Olympic medalist. But the reality is people don't know who he is and he won a gold medal and it's incredible. And we don't fund our Olympic athletes and that's horrible. And we really should. Yeah, it's fucked up. We need to pay our olympic athletes yeah i would love if we could take some of our defense budget and instead of buying like too many tanks that we then give to police can we give a little bit of that to some olympians please so that they're not like he's having to only eat ramen and shit and you're like this guy's a fucking olympic athlete this is insane it's really it also might help us level the playing field a little bit for people who are way too poor to even think about competing in the olympics but maybe would be amazing at it There's a lot of reasons we should be funding our athletes. But, you know, aside. So he's, I think, very upset that he doesn't have respect. He's jealous of his brother, Dave, who they're both great wrestlers. I think Dave is... They're both gold medalists. Yeah. I think Dave has stronger sports psychology, which is probably why he's more sought after as a coach. Well, and also he's just like a great communicator in a way that Mark is not. Maybe easier to get along with you. He's he's like the nicest guy. He's He's so fucking sweet. (laughs) so nice so i think he's also so mark is connecting with johnny dupont over this desire for respect and this sort of very surface level patriotism yeah like how you know america could be great and we got to do this for america and there's this interesting undercurrent with dupont's character as well as where he's funding the local police or letting them come on his land to shoot weird relationship with the cops that is never fully explained but you're just left to draw your own conclusions but yeah it's like he's a reserve police officer which is not a thing like there are things happening where john's been called in to work with them because i guess he's funding them and he has all these crazy guns and stuff on his property and then at one point, he's buying a tank because you could do that, which is fucking stupid, but he's buying a tank and it doesn't arrive with the machine gun that it's supposed to have on it. So he's all pissed about that and he has to send them away to come back with the machine gun that's supposed to be attached <laughs> to the tank. Yeah. But the police connection bad. is really, really wild. Which I assume, right, is what was happening with the real yeah. Johnny DuPont, which like bad. 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 Rich people should not have undue influence over their local police departments. No, real bad. And then, yeah, it's also crazy when he shoots Dave. There's a guy with him in the car that who also has a gun. And that guy does me nothing. So mad. Yeah, he has all of this security everywhere. He has the local cops on his side. He has security that's always with him at all times, Johnny DuPont. He just drives out one day with his security to Dave's house. He pulls out his gun. He points it at Dave. The guy who's in the car with him is like, whoa, John, don't. What are you doing? And then he shoots Dave. And then the guy just like gets out of the car and hides to protect himself instead of taking down the guy with the gun who then shoots Dave again. Like Dave might have been okay. (laughs) Yeah, he shoots Dave like three or four times. Yeah. And not in like quick pop, 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 pop. No, like like, he shoots him and everyone's like, whoa, what just happened? And then he takes some some time to think about it. And then he shoots him more. It's messed up. Yeah. It's Hugely messed up. I really like this one. It stuck with me. I think about it a lot. What about your favorite quote when he's celebrating and he's talking about his his mother and like did your did your horse <laughs> <laughs> what was that line? did did your, did your horse jump the thing, mother? <laughs> they've won an award he has all the guys back and he's like celebrating with them in her horse trophy room and he takes down one of her trophies to put up the medal that they've won and then he is just doing this super weird voice where he's like what do you think of that mother did your horse jump over the thing mother I I google it's yeah did your horse jump over the thing did you catch the fox mother (laughs) and to be fair at that point he has a whole team of wrestlers and they're all like okay <laughs> yeah but it's funny because there's this weird power dynamic obviously since they're all here being paid to train with him and so he wants him to, to be this bro-y fun we're all friends atmosphere so they're all trying to celebrate with him and he's doing this weird shit in front of them and they're all like yay <laughs> like, we're on your side we're your friends johnny dupont no what a fascinating movie. And this was one of the earlier, like, Steve Carell is going to be a serious actor movies. So this was a, a transitional type of film for him. And he was nominated. He was. He was nominated. But it's also interesting which awards this was nominated for, but didn't get a Best Picture nom a when ton there were two open slots. Of huge nominations. This movie, as we said, was nominated for five Academy Awards, but they were not like Slouch Academy Awards. They were not technical. No. All technical. I think maybe one of them was, it was like best technical. I'm sure makeup maybe. Yeah. But uh, I think there was a best director. Yeah, man. Yeah. And screenplay, I think. Director, yeah. actor, supporting actor, original screenplay. Yeah. Those are hairstyling. Those are big categories for it to not get nominated for best picture in a field that is not, it wasn't like there were 10 nominees. No. What the hell, guys? Very strange. Where's the respect for Foxcatcher? I love Mark Ruffalo. I just, I adore the man. He's the one who's in it the least because there are large parts of the movie where he's not there and obviously like Channing Tatum and Steve Carell are developing their weird dynamic. But Mark Ruffalo has to do very little to make you really care about him. He's one of those actors with this inherent charming quality to them where you're like, I know I love this guy. Like you meet him for a bit at the beginning and you're like, I love this guy and then he comes back and he's there for enough time for you to be just devastated that he dies. I love the opening When you're just meeting them and and Mark shows up to train with Dave and there's this fascinating physicality to them when they first are doing their training and there's this almost hugging sort of start to it. And then they're like hitting each other a little bit, but it's affectionate. It's like this weird, perfect physical manifestation of their brotherly bond. Relationship, yeah. yeah. Which is great. It's a good one. It's good. I really liked it. Everybody should watch Foxcatcher. All right, on to the last one of our losers, Whiplash, a film I was shocked how much I enjoyed poor, it. I had a rollicking good time watching Whiplash, Whiplash. being up against Nightcrawler. What a good movie. Amy and Giselle coming out of freaking nowhere with this movie. It's so stylish. It's so great. I'll tell them what it's about before we do our thing. So Whiplash is about a young musician played by Miles Teller, and he has gotten into a very prestigious music school uh, i forget what it's called and i forget if it's real i, I don't but, know uh, that's real, actually, heard never heard of it and he's kind of a, a prickly guy he's not the most popular guy but this is a story about a person who feels that they are destined for greatness Oh yes. he is striving to be great oh yes and at the school you can become part of ensembles that go and compete in competitions that makes sense <laughs> and he the like the one you want to be part of is the one that jk simmons leads it's a jazz ensemble and so he gets the opportunity to participate in this jazz ensemble as a drummer he's a drummer and jk simmons is a crazy person insane (laughs) he's an insane person he's like he very much is of the school like you have to break people down to maybe build them up who knows yeah the the build them up is a question mark the breaking down is essential (laughs) a guarantee (laughs) And so they're going along, they're having conflict. He is so desperate for J.K. Simmons approval. He will do anything. Eventually, as they're going to this competition, he's running late. He gets into a car accident. (laughs) and In a rented uh, car. Oh, So he's running late because he's, I don't know if he sleeps in or whatever, but he misses the like train. No, he takes a bus. He has to take a bus to the competition. The bus breaks down. He has to rent a car. Oh, that's what happens. Yeah. He's not late because of his fault. He's on a bus that breaks down. He needs to get there. He rents a car. He goes to the. He gets there, there, but he's forgotten his sticks at the rental car place, and so he has to leave. And there's like four minutes and thirty seconds until the tell J.K. Simmons is like, "You need to be back here, uh, or you're cut." And so he's speeding. He goes. He gets his sticks. He gets back in the car. He's driving back to the place. He gets in a car accident. His car is, like, flipped over, (laughs) wrecked. He speeds through an intersection, I think. And then he runs away from the car accident, from his rental car. He gets there. He's covered in blood and glass. And he's like, no, I'm going to play. I'm going to play. And they're like, you can't play. And the curtains go up and everyone's watching. And then he gets into a physical fight with J.K. Simmons on stage. it's incredible amazing. so anyway he's expelled from school yep uh Shockingly. but also what has happened is a former student of jk simmons has committed suicide which we know about jk simmons comes into class and tells everyone about it. he's very sad he doesn't but- say he committed suicide though Oh, he said he died. Yeah. Okay. I think he might even say it was something else. He leads you to believe that it was he was either it's sick like an accident or he was in an accident or something or something. Yeah. Yeah. After Miles Teller's been expelled, the family of the kid who commits suicide blames J.K. Simmons because the kid was depressed because of his experiences during the school. He had terrible anxiety, terrible depression. And so they want Miles Teller to also sort of secretly testify against jk simmons that he created an abusive environment and so he does that jk simmons loses his job you think miles teller is out he tries to reconnect with a girl he had been dating earlier in the film who he was terrible to and she's like no thank you and you're like you're like yes this is the only time in (laughs) film history when the woman saw the red flags and was like bye (laughs) and i'm out yeah his speech to her when they break up he's like you're gonna keep me from being great so we can't be together that speech by the way has been what are you has been having a moment on tiktok it's everywhere. Oh, really? People great. doing their reaction things to his insane speech about how he needs to break up with her because he wants to focus on becoming a great artist and she would only hold him back, and then he would end up presenting her and their relationship would never work out. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you think he's out, but then there's this bit at when you think the movie's going to end there, like a normal movie would end there, but the normal it movie not. it just not. So Miles Teller runs into J.K. Simmons. In a jazz club and J.K. Simmons is like, I bet you heard I lost my job. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, someone testified against me. I don't know who it was. Hey, I'm doing this thing in a, in a couple of weeks and I, I really need a jazz drummer. Do you want to hop on this trip with me? And Miles Teller's like, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I will. And so he comes to this competition or performance or whatever. It's like the New York Jazz Festival or something. Like it's a yes. big deal. And he has told Miles Teller, we're just doing the old set from when I was your teacher. Yeah. So you don't need to learn anything new. But all the critics are going to be there. So even though you didn't finish school, like this could be great for your career. And so he has told Miles Teller that, but then they start playing a different song and he does not have the sheet music. And it's amazing. (laughs) He tries to start playing along, but obviously... He can't. And everyone can tell, because it's a it's an audience full of judges and important jazz people <laughs> who yeah. all know what the music is supposed to sound like. And J.K. Simmons is like I knew it was you. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were the one who told I the I brought characters. you here to humiliate you. And it totally worked. It's so humiliating. It's amazing. So Miles Teller, after the song gets up to leave, his dad is there. He hugs his dad. His dad is like, it's okay. I love you anyway. And you're like, okay, so this is the normal end of the movie where, again, Miles Teller realizes, you know what? I don't need this. My dad loves me. But no, that's not the end of the movie. He comes back out on stage, <laughs> sits back down, and just starts playing. <laughs> And he's like, everyone follow me now. Everyone follow me. And J.K. Simmons is like, what? Oh God, what? What's happening? And there's this great part where J.K. Simmons is like, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And he starts to play along. And then he walks up to Miles Teller and he's like, I'm going to tear your fucking eyes out. <laughs> yeah, and Miles Teller is, is mouthing back to him, fuck you. <laughs> but then at the end of the movie, it's like they've come to this begrudging respect for each other. So in the end, I guess they both win. But as the viewer, you're like, oh, this is a movie about two maniacs just like who are in love with each other or something. Know. They're both in love with this concept of greatness and they're yeah. fucking crazy because the way that they're feeling at the end is like J.K. Simmons Triumph. is like, I did it. I broke you down and now you're great because of me. And Miles Teller is there being like, this process was so worth it because now I'm great because I went through this thing. And like that's the eye conversation they're having. And you're like, yeah. you guys are crazy. You guys are crazy. (laughs) I Don't understand why you feel this way. I think the reason this movie works is obviously J.K. Simmons, a revelation. He's perfect. He's amazing. But there can be like a crazy abusive guy in any movie. It works because Miles Teller's character is not this sad, abused victim. He's asking for this the whole way. This is all he wants. He wants his moment to go through the fire and become great because of it. And he... (laughs) like so obsessed with his own self-worth there's this amazing scene when he's at dinner with like family friends and his dad's before you get into it i just want to say like yeah the thing with him is he's an asshole to everyone around him the whole movie so it's like not totally surprised at the end when you're like oh no these people are the same person and they're both just crazy yeah so there's a scene when he's at this dinner with the because you've seen him kind of be like your priorities are kind of fucked up from early in the movie. But I feel like it sort of crystallizes at this scene with the family friend. So he's there with his dad and then his dad's friends and their kids are there. And so you start out feeling kind of bad for him because he's trying to brag about the fact that he got onto this really exclusive jazz ensemble and it's like, cool. And he's at this really important school and everyone's like, that's great because nobody knows shit about jazz or anything about this school. So they're like, yeah. cool, dude. Uh, and then you're like, oh, poor guy. Can't even brag about this cool accomplishment. But then <laughs> the other kids are there talking about their accomplishments and one of them is a football player or whatever. A quarterback. Yeah. But I feel like the other one is like, has some sort of great school accomplishment that he scholastic yeah yeah. and everyone's celebrating these accomplishments of theirs and miles teller can't fucking take it and has to rip these people up (laughs) because he's so mad that they didn't appreciate him so he starts saying like to the football player you're never gonna play for any good school your your school he's like that's a d3 school or whatever right yeah yeah and at this dinner miles teller's Dad has to cut him down in front of all of the friends because he's being such a dick. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, you get that call from the philharmonic, and you're like, oh shit, Paul (laughs) Riser. And so that's when you start to get the sense like this guy is a dick. For me, it really is that final bit that kicks it up into next gear. Like it would have been good up through the part where they reveal, but that's like a normal movie where you're like, Oh, he got out, he was a victim. But it's that last ending where you're like, no. Nope. Well, and Lunatics. it's interesting when they're trying to get him to agree to sign on to testify against him because he very much does not do it because he feels like he was victimized. You're watching this thinking, J.K. Simmons is crazy. No one should stand for the way that J.K. Simmons treats this class of people. But he is not agreeing to testify against him because he feels like he was wronged. He's just mad that he got kicked out of school because of the kid like, wouldn't let him play when he was all bloodied from the car accident. <laughs> so he's like this is how i'll get him back the thing we kept talking about too was about how crazy it would be to be in the audience of either of those performances particularly the one where he shows up all bloodied and then gets into a fight with jk simmons you'd be like i went to this jazz show (laughs) you will not believe what happened (laughs) there was a drummer and then this other guy came on stage and he was covered in blood and then then, the conductor and the bloody guy (laughs) got into a fist fight (laughs) What do you think happened behind the scenes? What a show. Yeah. There's this interesting running thing with them that is a story about Charlie Parker and – They've invented this fictionalized version of Charlie Parker's origin story. We did our own research into it because we were like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so yes. it's, it's mostly bullshit. They have this sto- story that they tell to each other throughout the course of the thing, though, that Charlie Parker was just this average musician who was trying to get ahead in the jazz world until one day the leader of the band that he was in, like he couldn't play the music correctly. And the band leader threw a symbol at him and nearly decapitated him. <laughs> so they tell it, And the trauma of this event then made him go home and focus even harder on practicing and becoming an amazing musician. And that's what led to him creating bird. And that's why Charlie Parker is the legend that he is today. <laughs> and so you're like, turns out this story has a lot of holes in it. <laughs> turns out that wasn't the case. He, became a great musician through collaboration and experimenting with other people mm-hmm. who, who knew who knew it is interesting how you can see how the jk simmons school of teaching definitely leads people to practice a lot but it doesn't explain in any way how this process is supposed to lead to creative creativity creativity or invention or discovery or as you said collaboration in any way that is not a part of this at all i guess he thinks that if you just practice hard enough like charlie parker was practicing so hard that one day he went to sleep and bird just appeared in his mind and he woke up the next day and was finally able to play it and you're like that's not how yeah, that's art not works. Really, how that works? Yeah. So I mentioned this when we talked about Birdman, but this for me is a much more successful takedown of artists who are so self-important. Yes. Well, what's extra funny and another meta layer of it that exists outside the film is you said you were researching it because neither of us know jazz. We're like, that, right? We we're not not music people, but I don't really know classical music generally, and jazz I know very vaguely yeah i certainly don't have the skill to be able to tell when he's rushing or yeah the dragging. running thing of the movie is that he can never get on jk simmons tempo so not my tempo not my tempo is what he says over and over he has this people start the song over and over and over and over and over again until they could get on his tempo and so then he's trying to he's like were you rushing or dragging rushing or dragging and like no one ever fucking knows because he's being so <laughs> And so, yeah, you said you did research, since we don't know jazz, and the jazz experts say that the jazz in this movie is like, (laughs) (laughs) so-so. Like, not even amazing jazz that they've all put themselves through all of this ridiculousness for. Which is pretty funny. It's hilarious. (sighs) It's a fun time. I love this movie. I mean, it's delightful. The editing is so great. The pacing is incredible. It zips. It is on my tempo, the movie. Hmm. this this is, is my, my tempo. tempo uh it's snappy it's quick it's super well crafted it's just fantastic it's well acted i mean jk simmons won obviously he won the oscar for this we were looking at his list of awards and nominations through his career he was nominated for and won seemingly every Everything. award that you could win <laughs> for this role and well deserved because he's incredible but just and I think Miles Teller is great as this awful person. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, that's the only reason it works. It's not fun to watch a movie about an evil person torturing a nice person, but it is fun to watch a movie about two assholes who are obsessed with themselves and each other. <laughs> and are just like, Torturing each other. You're like, no. You guys are ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, the thing with it too is like the collateral damage is limited yes this girl had a bad experience with him but she got out and i don't know how his father feels about him but it it, it's like it's okay right this isn't one of these movies where this person's trying to be great really destroys anyone else's life he's kind of just destroying his own life or whatever i don't know (laughs) yeah I mean, the sadness of it and the commentary of like why this is damaging to society is that not everyone is Miles Teller. Like some of the people are the guy that kills himself because of this sort of treatment. And so you are left with, we do need to fucking get rid of these people. Like these people cannot be a part of how we train the next generation of musicians. But if like we could just stick Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons in a pocket universe and they could just chase and torment and fight each other for eternity, like, uh, that's fine. That's fine. That's exactly what they want. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why should we deprive them of that as long as we can separate them from the rest of society yeah it's a good one it's a good one damien chazelle it. okay then's the losers Then's the losers we're on to the next round of our bracket which we will discuss in a part three i believe the remaining matchups are grand budapest versus guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. and Snowpiercer versus nightcrawler We will get to, I believe, a final answer in the next episode. So we'll be talking about all four of those movies. We'll do the final four and then we'll do the final matchup. The final final. I'm excited. Good times. This is a great process. We're left with some really good movies in this final four, I think. Yeah. Only one actual nominee, though. Now that's fascinating. Will it win? Or will something come from completely outside the field and take best picture? We shall see. We'll find out. In the meantime... As always, comments, questions, concerns, reach out to us. I'm sure you have opinions about one of these movies. There are 16 of them, for God's sake. Reach out to us at oscarswrongpod at gmail.com and on Twitter and Letterbox at os- oscarswrongpod. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. New episodes of the pod come out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts.